No. I want to play it like the young lady did here in the offertory. I, I played the piano one time, and people clapped. I went to the mall, and they used to have a piano store at the mall. And I sat down at a piano, and it had a demo key. And I hit that demo key. And that's back when Cloverleaf Mall was big, and there was thousands of people coming through that mall on a Friday evening. And I sat there behind that thing doing this, and people would come by, and they were, and I would, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't play like that. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 33 this morning, if you would please. Jeremiah chapter 33. Uh, Tom Moore called me yesterday morning and said, Bill wanted me to let you know he may, he's going to be having surgery today. So I jumped up and got over there, tried to get there before he went into surgery. I sat down with Bill and talked to him for a while. And uh, they came in to work on him. This alludes to what we're looking at this morning. The God of the impossible. Calling unto me and what I'll show you. Bill began to rehearse after I'd been there for a little while yesterday. He began to rehearse his testimony to me. I remember it. I remember when he was saved. I was there. And uh, I remember some things that led up to it. Lady came in and she was going to be doing an EKG. And I think an ultrasound or something. And she came in and she was putting the stickers on him for it. And I was about ready to leave. I said, Bill, I'll step out while they work on you. He said, no, you can stay in here. I said, well, okay. So I stayed and they got him all hooked up. They're running an EKG and Bill is giving me his testimony. But he really isn't giving me his testimony. He's giving that nurse his testimony. And Bill said, Preacher, I want you to know the thing that, and we had talked about your anniversary, and I'll tell you this because he's not here. He said, Preacher, this is a bad anniversary because I can't get out and do anything. And so it bothers him. But he said, the thing that has changed my life more than any other event in world history was the day I met Jesus Christ. And then he goes into his testimony. And she had to stay and listen. Uh, and then at the end of it, he asked her what the EKG said. I, I, I looked across and I could see the little jiggly lines and what it did. But Bill, when he testifies, has the tendency to, let's say, get excited. So I really want to know if that was a true EKG or not. But Bill was rehearsing for about 10 or 15 minutes with me the goodness of God. And he didn't remember me being, in fact, I was in a position I couldn't get to where he was when he went in seven weeks ago, and it was later. He was already in surgery by the time I was able to get there. But I remember the things that led up to that evening. And he said yesterday, he said, you know, the doctors told me that I was minutes away from and I don't know that the doctors told him this. He said, they told me I was minutes away from meeting Jesus. I just think they simply said, you were minutes away from dying. Bill said, well, death is just me meeting Jesus. I was minutes away from meeting Jesus. And, you know, I look at all that has happened with him, and we have seen in the last seven weeks, though they've been difficult for him, we, we have seen that we serve a great God who controls all things, and even in the bad times, even in the struggles, uh, 
and in the difficult hours. He's the God of the impossible. Ed Hibbard was told after they were getting ready to release him from the hospital, what has happened in your heart is a widow maker. You are a miracle. You were moments away. Listen, it was so close, and Kevin can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but this is what he told me. When they went to do the catheterization, you know, where they go into your thigh and put the camera up into your heart and all that stuff, they gave him no sedation and no painkiller. They said, we have to get in now. And he said, go ahead. Listen, he's a man. And the doctor said, you were moments away. We serve. Listen, if you're saved today, you are saved by the God of the impossible. We're so accustomed in our lives to just talking about God. Well, God this and God that. I think we fail to see sometimes that he is the God of the impossible. Now, I want us to stand together and read in Jeremiah chapter 33. We'll read three verses. We'll be seated, and then we'll go back to chapter 32. We have to get the picture around the whole. Jeremiah chapter 33, and beginning in verse number 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time. Ponder that for a moment. This isn't the first time Jeremiah has heard from the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the second time. While he was yet shut up in the court of the prison. Mark where he was. Verse 2, thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call unto me. And I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Pray with us, please. Father, show us yourself this morning through the prophet Jeremiah. May the words be spoken clearly. Remove me from the picture and Empty me of self and allow the Holy Spirit to talk to this congregation of people. Speak to us now, to our very heart and soul. Show us who you are this morning. If there's one here who is unsaved, show them yourself as the Savior. If there's one who is troubled, show yourself as the God who is in control. Speak to us, each of us, we pray. And help us not just to listen, but help us to hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, if you would, please. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the second time. The verse tells us where he is. He's in court of the prison. He's incarcerated. He's in jail. We need to know why. We need to know the circumstances around what is happening. We love the promise where... The Lord Jesus, where God Himself says, Call unto me. What a promise. And I will answer thee. And my answers will show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. What a tremendous promise that is to us. 
But what is it that brings us to that point? Turn back a page or so in your Bible, if you would, to the book of Jeremiah chapter 32. Chapter 32, and find your place in verse number 16. Now when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase unto Dubrach, the son of Uriah, I prayed unto the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power, and stretched out an arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands, and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name, great in counsel, mighty in work. For thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men to give every one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings, which has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, even unto this day and in Israel and among other men, and has made thee a name as at, that, at this day, and has brought forth thy people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders and with a strong hand and a stretched out arm and with great terror, and hath given them this land, which thou didst swear unto their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. They came in, possessed it, but they obeyed not the voice, thy voice, neither walked in thy law. They have done nothing of all that thou commandest them to do. Therefore thou hast caused all this evil to come upon us. I said last week, gave you some illustration of someone that said, Uh, All of these judgment messages and the Bible talking about judgment and God's judgment. And God is a God that is a judge and He does so out of love. You cannot claim, Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3, that God's going to answer our prayer and show us great and mighty things and live as in verse 23 of this chapter. Israel lived like they wanted to live and did what they wanted to do and worshiped like they wanted to worship. And then when hard times came, they wanted Him to be God. Now verse 24, Behold the mounts, they are come up into the city to take it. And the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans that fight against it because of the sword and of the famine and the pestilence. And what thou hast spoken is come to pass, and behold, thou seest it. Verse 25, And thou hast said unto me, O Lord God, buy thee a field for money and take witness, for the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Now get the picture. All right? We've got, before we can claim chapter 33, verse 3, we've got to get the full picture of what's happening. Israel has rebelled to the fullest extent against the true and living God. God has said, All right, I told you if you, then I, and you haven't, so I won't. They're being taken into captivity. They've, uh, they've undergone famine and sword and pestilence and all of these things. And now Jeremiah is in, he's in prison. And to get ahead of myself a little bit, he's in prison because he was preaching the word of truth. God had given him a message to speak and the authorities didn't like the word of God. And so they took it out on Jeremiah and he's put in prison. So he's writing what he's seeing and hearing from a prison sense. And I want you to notice what he says, the instruction that is given to him as a prisoner. Buy thee the field for money and take witness for the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Now let me ask you, does this make sense to you? For a man who is imprisoned right now and for a country that is being overtaken, let me ask you this. 
Are you going to invest your money in land? Best I can think this morning, it would be like us saying, would you like to invest in buying land in the city of Baghdad? Would you like to invest money in the city of Mosul? These are two war-ridden countries and devastation had come to these cities. And God says to Jeremiah, I want you to buy land. Why would you buy land? I shared with you a few weeks ago about in 1959 to 1962, somewhere in there. It was a brainchild of someone to build Interstate 295 around Richmond. And a gentleman that lives in Hanover County heard of what was happening, and he began to buy land. It didn't matter if it was dry land or swamp land or what it was, but anything along the path. Now, Did he buy it because he wanted land next to an interstate? No. He was an investor. And he bought the land knowing that one day something's going to happen. He owned all of the land on the Mechanicsville 360 interchange of 295 where all of the Target, Walmart, Home Depot, all of that, he owned all of it. All of that behind it, over back toward the area where Barbara Adams lived. Uh, His sister bought those fields across from the road where you are, back toward 295. Why did they put their money into those things? Because they were planning, one day, one day there's going to be value there. God says to him, I want you to buy land here. One day, your investment is going to, one day something different is going to happen. Now, Jeremiah was writing this against the backdrop of evil. The people, we've looked at at what he said about the character of God and the person of God. He's exalted God. He's glorified God. Now, in chapter 32, verse 30 through 35, he is talking about the people. For the children of Israel, the children of Judah, have done only evil, have only done evil before me from their youth. For their children, the children of Israel have only provoked me to anger with the work of their hands, saith the Lord. Because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, they, their kings, their princes, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and they have turned unto me the back and not the face. In other words, as God is speaking to them and directing them, they show great disrespect to Him. They refuse to listen to Him, and they turn their back to God to move away from Him. Verse 34, But they set their admonition in those house, abomination in the, in the house which is called by the name to defile it. And they built the high places of Baal which are in the valley of the son of Hinnon to cause their sons and daughters to pass through the fire of Molech, which I commanded them not, neither came into, uh, into it into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. They have gone far beyond what you could ever imagine in sin. Now, because of this sin, God is bringing them judgment. He's bringing judgment upon the people. Let me say this if, for every one of us that are here this morning. But if you're a person that says, I don't like all the talk in the Bible about judgment. Why does God judge people? He judges people because He's a God of love. And He refuses to let us go our way because of His love for us. The words of Jeremiah offer the same comfort to our hearts today as God speaks to us. 
I want you to notice in chapter 32, verse 17 through 22, let's look at Jeremiah's confidence for a moment. Why is he confident? Jeremiah presents the evidence that he's collected about God and shows him to be the God of the impossible. He speaks in verse 17 through 22 of the mighty God and who God is. Verse number 17, he talks about him being the God of creation, the work of his hands. His creation declares him to be the God of the impossible. If he can make everything out of nothing, then I think today that you and I can trust him to take care of us, don't you? A God of creation. Notice also verse 18 through verse 20. His confidence is in a God of creation, but also a God in God's character. The language Jeremiah used, uh, reminds us of who he is. Notice, if you would, in those verses, he is the God of grace. He's the God of love. He was the God of mercy. Jeremiah speaks of his provision. He's a God of miracles. He reflects back in history to the power of God and what God has done to bring Israel out of a place of slavery, a God of power, the God who moves heaven and earth and suspends the very laws of nature. Well, preacher, what are you talking about, suspends the law of nature? You read in the Old Testament where the man of God asked for extra hours and God commanded the sun to set still. You remember back in the Old Testament where the nation of Israel was leaving Egypt and God spoke to nature and the water stopped. And the people walked over in the marsh and the swamp. No. Dry ground. God suspended the laws of nature. God suspended the laws of nature when Abraham and Sarah laughed. At our age, not only was I barren when I was able to bear children, now it's humanly impossible at our age. And God suspended the laws of nature. And He did so with the three Hebrews, with Daniel, with Elijah, with the widow of Zarephath, with the feeding of five thousands, with the disciples in the storm, with Lazarus, with his sisters Mary and Martha. Would you understand this? He has not changed. It's not a different God of 2019 than it was then. God's character is still the same. He's still the God of creation. He's still in control and can suspend the laws of nature as he so deems. Verse 21 through verse 22, Jeremiah is confident in God's conversion. He finds confidence from the Lord's power as it was displayed as Israel left the land of Egypt. He remembers how God brought them out of the land and into the land of Canaan. Today, as we think of His judgment, we think of His love. We contemplate His love. It's amazing that we can think today that He can take a heart that is black with sin and put it under the red shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the Scripture says that He washes us white as snow. He is the God of the impossible.
And Jeremiah has confidence. But I also want us to look in verse 23 to 25 at Jeremiah's crisis. And we see first the problems that he faced while the people of God had been blessed. They refused to acknowledge where their blessings came from. And the result is they're going to experience judgment. And they're going to be suffering for their sins. But notice this. Jeremiah is going to be suffering with them. Jeremiah was not living as they were living. But he is going to suffer with them. Let me say, we're serving the Lord, I believe, today at a very wicked hour. I don't think it's very difficult for us to see that. It is so hard for me to fathom that our country has come to where we are today from where we were even when I was a child six years ago. (laughs) And I want to make this statement, and I believe it is to be true. I believe God's hand of judgment is on the nation. And because His hand of judgment is on this nation, we are going to experience a portion of the judgment that is upon them. See, Jeremiah wasn't living like the rest of Israel. But when God judged them, he experienced the fallout. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12, it says, Yea, and to all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So I want us to see first the problem that he faced. And in verse 25, there was a plan. There's a plan he follows. After Jeremiah is thrown into prison, he's commanded to purchase this piece of property from his uncle. Verse chapter 32, verse 6 through verse 12 There's got to have been some serious moments of doubt there. I want you to think about it. He's preaching to a group of people that judgment is coming. That's that's not an easy message. He's preaching a message that God had given him, a word that God had given him. and He's just the newspaper boy. He's just delivering it. And he's telling them that it's about to be destroyed and all the people would be taken away into Babylon as slaves. But here's the plan. God says, I want you to buy this piece of property, this piece of land. He's buying a piece of property that in his mind, he's buying a piece of land in his mind that he thought he would probably never see or never use. But God's plan was not to leave Israel enslaved. God's plan for Israel was not to keep them under the the thumb of the Babylonian Empire or the Chaldean Empire. And God's judgment upon people is not to destroy them and to enslave them, but to bring them to a place that they will turn to Him. And as true as the statement is in my belief that God's hand of judgment is upon our country. His hand of judgment is there because He still loves us. 
And His hand of judgment is not to enslave us or to press us down, but to get us to turn to Him. There's a predicament that we also see in verse 25. Jeremiah's crisis came from the fact that he didn't want to look like a fool. He's in prison buying a piece of land on the brink of destruction. He doesn't want to look like a fool. He doesn't want people outside saying, well, why would he, why would he do? Don't you know that since the beginning, men have asked why? I want you to think, if you would, for just a few moments as Moses was commanded to hold a stick over the body of water when the people of God were under attack. Don't you think that sounds senseless? Almost as senseless as cutting down a tree and throwing it into a body of water and taking the bitterness out of the water. And if that doesn't sound foolish enough, what about striking a rock and expecting water? The people of Israel were commanded to simply look up at a brazen snake on a pole. That sounds rather foolish. And Israel was commanded, or Isaiah was commanded to walk around with no clothes as an object lesson to the king of Israel in Isaiah chapter 20. That sounds awfully foolish. And Noah was commanded to build a boat in his yard. And surely that's absurd. And sometimes the ways of God to us are going to seem foolish. But within God's character and His knowledge is a purpose. And for each of these, He had a purpose. Jeremiah shows us confidence. Jeremiah then shows us a crisis. Now remember, our sort of subtext verses 33, 1 through 3, and the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time. And we're headed to verse 3. Call, I will answer, I will show. Jeremiah has to have confidence. And we see the present circumstances now in chapter 32 and into chapter 33, we see his comfort. He's comforted by God's power. God tells Jeremiah that he, in, he indeed was going to bring judgment upon Israel for their sins in an effort to turn them around and bring them back and find his way with them. And verse number 27 uses this phrase. He says, the God of all flesh. Realize this today, even in the backdrop of the world in which we live, God is still the God of all flesh. He has not changed. He's the same God He was at the beginning, who He is now and who He will be in the future. In fact, I like the statement that He says, I change not. So there can be some expectation. Jeremiah was comforted. Here he is in prison. Now listen, it's one thing to be in prison for something you did. I think it's something different to be in prison for something you did not do. I watched a news story the other day on a fellow who now has served 29 years in prison for a crime that since day one he said, I did not commit. 
And they weighed the evidence, and he was sentenced to spend the rest of his life in prison until the recent developments of the use of DNA. And after 29 years of being imprisoned, the DNA evidence says it was not him. That's one thing to be in prison for something that you do. Now let's consider for a moment why is Jeremiah in prison. He's in prison for being the newsman. He is in prison not for what he said. He's in prison for what God said. In the backdrop of the world in which we live, church, let me tell you this. I won't be surprised if we're not too far from that again. Our General Assembly this year, though it was defeated, took up measures and bills that would prohibit me as a preacher from saying certain things behind this pulpit. Not things that are my opinion, but things that are my belief. And I don't care what the world says about certain sins, and they are a lifestyle. The Bible says they are an abomination, and I'm not going to tell you there's nothing wrong with it. Jeremiah is simply in prison because he delivers God's word to God's people. And they don't like it. And so he's imprisoned. So what comforts you when you're put in a place that you don't deserve to be? He says, oh, the God of all flesh. God declares His power by asking Jeremiah a very simple, straightforward question. And here's the question. Is there anything too hard for God? Can I give you that question today? In your life, let's, let's bring it close to where we're sitting. In your life today, what is it that seems to be so very hard? Is there anything too hard, not for you and for me, or for our doctors, is there anything too hard for God. This word hard, to be beyond one's power. God is simply saying that nothing is beyond his power. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, and I remember in 1982, this was one of the verses that our class chose as a class verse. God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that ye ask, and think. And we can ask for a whole lot. And we can think for a whole lot. But is there anything too hard for God? He is still God. And that should comfort our hearts. We see in verse 60 or 36 through 44. First he was comforted by God's power. And now he's comforted by God's promise. The people of Israel are going to fall, that's his message, and they're going to go into captivity. That's what God had said. Then God said this, I'm going to bring them home again. 
He said this, I'm going to gather them to myself. He said this, and they're going to serve me. And then he said this, and they're going to be my God, or I will be their God. And they will be my people. God's message is this. My judgment will bring purification. Now, I've given you the illustration before, and I'll briefly say it today. The process of purification is always painful. I got a splinter in my finger last week. I started trying to get it out. You know what I thought? That hurts. I think I just leave it there. That could hurt worse. I'm just going to mention one word because you've heard it before. Some of you. Methylate. Everyone in America should know what methylate is. I don't care what they say about it. You have to experience it once. I don't think if you use it one time, it will kill you. I think when they give vaccinations, they ought to also say, oh, by the way, here's what methylate does. Do you remember that stuff? Do you remember when your mom used to start blowing before she, it ever hit your finger? <laughs> remember cutting my hand one time, and mom was getting ready to put methylate, and I did what all kids do. You start screaming before they ever get near you. First, it was stick it under water and wash it out. Ooh. And then came out that bottle and she'd squeeze that tip and do all that kind of stuff and you bring it out and it was a glass ball and had the little, you know, round thing on the end of it. And it, life went into slow motion. And you see that ball coming toward your hand and on the end of that glass was this little red, orangey drip of boiling fire water. And it would come over your hand and she would touch that little glass ball to your finger. And that stuff would run everywhere. Why? Because before she put a Band-Aid on, she purified. Let me say this, to bring this back into Scripture. There's a lot of people today who are putting Band-Aids over sin. When you take that Band-Aid off without it having been purified, your problems only get worse. To shorten it, this. Purification requires pain. God's judgment is not meant because He hates Israel. But God's My mom put that junk on my knees. I remember one time I was in a wedding, and I, I didn't have very... Mom and Dad, they were low income. And my mom told me, we live right next door to church, she said, don't you run today and tear the knees out of those britches. Yeah. <laughs> like that's going to happen with a second grade boy. I remember the wedding was over, and I took off, and she was with me. I took off running across the church parking lot to the house that we lived in and fell. And I didn't tear the knee out of the pants. I tore the knees, plural, out of the pants. That was one of those methylate moments as well. 
She did it because she hated me. I had torn the knees out of those pants. I had disobeyed. Therefore, she wanted me to suffer. Do you think that for a moment? No, she didn't want gangrene to set in. She didn't want it to get worse. So what did she do? She went through a purification process of what had happened to me. Folks, that's what judgment is. And the reason that the world doesn't want the judgment that the Bible talks about is because pain brings purification. Judgment means there's going to be some pain. So we want to do what we can to cover over the judgment of God. Let's just talk about His love. I will. But because He loves me, He purifies me. And the purifying process is painful. The promise of God that is given. And then we find in chapter 33, verse 1 through 3, he had been comforted by God's power. He was comforted by God's promise. And now he's comforted by God's proclamation. Now let's read through these three verses. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time in prison in an evil day under judgment while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it and established it. The Lord is His name. Remember who's talking here. This isn't Jeremiah speaking. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. Call unto me from your prison. Call unto me from your judgment. Call unto me from wherever. Call unto me. And I will answer thee. Maybe not just like you want. And sometimes God doesn't answer my prayer like I want. But He does answer. I will answer thee. And here's the promise. I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. I find it interesting, a few verses down from that in Matthew. It says, Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will give him a serpent? If ye, then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask Him. And then John says, and this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. I love Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3. I love the promise. But as we finish out this morning, I love the promise, but there's a lot of things surrounding that promise. And I, I, I find it interesting. I find it challenging. I find it revealing that this wonderful promise is hinged. Is hinged on a time of judgment. It's hinged on a man of God, Jeremiah, who is imprisoned, who's incarcerated for just simply delivering God's word. 
I find it interesting where Israel is. Oh, listen, we want to take Jeremiah 33, 3 and run with it and say, well, after all, God promised this. Read the rest of the contract. Read the rest of the print. This is what God said He would do. But within the confines of His answering us and showing us great and mighty things, there are things that are put in our court, on our plate, at our table that we have to do. May God help us. As we started in the reading, may He help us to see the God of the impossible. The creator of everything out of nothing. The mighty God. Those names that we studied in December. The five names of God that Isaiah gives. God help us to see who he is as the mighty God. And then may God help us today to see who we are. You see, Jeremiah writes about who God is. And then God says, yeah, but remember my people? They've turned from everything that I said. They won't listen to anything that I'm saying. They, while I'm talking, they turn their back on me. They walk away from, this is who we are. So we see who God is. Then we see who we are. And then we see God's promise. I'm not doing this to you to hurt you. I'm not doing this to enslave you. I'm not doing it to kill you. I'm doing this to redeem you. I'm doing this to bring you back to me. And I will bring you back to me. And I will give you the land. And I will be your God. And you will serve me. The God of the impossible. Do you know him today? Do you need him today? Have you spoken with him today? Have you praised him today and thanked him today? I'm becoming, every day of my life, I'm becoming more aware of how unthankful we are. I will show thee great and mighty name. Listen, I would like in my lifetime, I would like to see something great and mighty that only God can do. And man just has to shut his mouth and stand aside. How many of you today would like to see something like that? Would like to see God do something? To shut men up? That men would have to bow their knee before him? Is there anything too hard for your God. Let's pray together. In a moment we'll have a verse of invitation. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord.